At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. This happened almost exactly three years ago. It showed up in my Facebook memories yesterday, and I thought you guys might appreciate it. I was taking the bus home from the store one night around 7 or 8 p.m. It's a route that I took on a regular basis and still take all the time, so usually I recognize some of the people on it. Anyway, this guy that I've never seen before and have never seen since gets on a few stops after me. He's probably in his mid to late 40s and wearing construction attire. He keeps looking back at me as if he recognizes me or something. So I kind of fake smile at him in the hopes that he'd stop. Instead, he takes it as an invitation to start a conversation. He starts asking me all these invasive questions to which I give the most generic non-answers, hoping that maybe he'll notice that he's making me uncomfortable and leave me alone. Instead, he asks me out for drinks. I say, uh, no thank you, I'm a minor. I was only 17 at the time. To which he replies something along the lines of, that's okay, I don't mind. And then, maybe I can join you at home. I think he went on to explain that he would watch a movie, and he'd make me the best drink I'd ever tasted. But I interrupted him, and told him that I was uncomfortable, and didn't want to talk to him anymore. Maybe not the smartest move, but at least I was honest, and he did stop talking to me. I put in my earbuds and watched him out the corner of my eye for the rest of the ride. Every time someone pulled the cord or the bus stopped, he looked back to see if I was getting off. When it finally came to my stop, I was feeling pretty uncomfortable, but pulled the cord anyway. As soon as I started gathering my stuff, he started shifting like he was getting off too. When I stood up, so did he. I waited until he was off the bus before sitting back down in my seat. As the bus drove away, I saw that he was still standing at the stop, waiting for me. I decided to ride the bus all the way back around, which took about one to two hours, to eliminate the possibility that he would still be there waiting. So when I got off, I rushed home. I suppose he could have just been a harmless stranger who just happened to be getting off at that stop, but it seems unlikely to me honestly. I find it extra shady that I'd never seen him before and I've never seen him again.
even on the same bus at the same time. In retrospect, I probably should have at least reported it to the police, just in case, but I was just blown away by the whole situation and didn't even think of it. Funny enough, just months later at the intersection near my bus stop, I had an encounter with a different stranger who turned out to be wanted for assault. And a few months after that, yet another guy told me he'd buy me anything I wanted as long as it was under $7,000 at that same crosswalk. The weird thing is that before these instances started, nothing like that had ever happened to me and nothing like that has happened since. It was just a weird few months, I guess. I was 14 when my best friend went away. David told me to sleep over one night. So, he fidgeted, my mum got a new job. It's... it's in California. He didn't look up. That's 1,913 miles from here. I googled it. I was silent for a long time after that. I hear California's awesome, I said with a smile. No snow. He smiled back. It was really important to make sure he didn't see me cry. We should make my last day legendary, David told me with a conspiratorial grin. He hadn't told anyone else about his departure yet. He was leaving in the middle of February, so people were going to notice that he was gone. What if everyone thought that Bloody Mary took me away? The plan was brilliant. After school, he and I would announce that we would summon the ghost in the mirror, and he'd slip out the window. It was a short reach down to the second floor balcony, and he would climb onto it, sneak down the stairs, and walk home. I would come out and announce that Bloody Mary had taken him into the other world, and no one would ever see him again. We all have to leave sometime. Once we accept that, we can control the method. There were at least two dozen people who gathered round the bathroom on that Friday after class. No one had attempted to summon the ghost since Jimmy Fisher tried in the fifth grade, then went home early because he peed his pants. Jimmy still sat alone at lunch. David and I were barely able to contain our smirks as we went into the bathroom alone. You know, we should at least try it, I explained. That way, we won't be lying when we say we attempted to bring forth the ghost. I said the last four words with mock drama. He blanched, just a little. Um, okay, I suppose so. I boldly stood in front of the mirror. He tentatively stood next to me. Bloody Mary, Bloody Mary, Bloody Mary. I killed your son. His voice echoed mine, albeit haltingly. We stared into our reflections. We blinked, so did they. Nothing happened. We let out a sigh of relief. I'd better get out of here, David offered. It's time. A hitch of sadness rose in my throat. Yeah, was all I could say. 
He put one leg up on the sink and one on the open window before offering me a last goodbye. See ya, he said with a smile. He looked down and shifted his weight in order to position himself for the window escape. He was halfway out when I decided that I couldn't resist. Boo! I shouted at him as I jumped forward. His eyes shot up immediately and betrayed a moment of terror. Honestly, I hadn't meant to make him slip. David fell through the window and out of sight before I could react. Oh, great, I thought. Now I'll have to deal with a twisted ankle. This will ruin the whole prank. I walked over to the window and peeked my head through. David's head was impaled sideways on a metal pole that had once been part of a chain-link fence. He must have fallen 15 feet. It ran temple to temple. The top of the pole was coated in blood, and the tip of it had brain goop resting on it. His legs were twitching like he was running in place, but the pole held him firm. It wiggled as his legs danced. His eyes darted round wildly as his jaw flapped open and shut. But... He was already dead. I think that Bloody Mary really did get us in the end. At least, that's what I told everyone. I said that David got spooked at what he saw after the incantation and jumped out the window. And I see David's killer every time I look in the mirror. I have always thought that my sister's paranoia was just something that got in the way of daily things. It would interfere with meeting new people, cause in her mind, they could be killers. Well, after this creepy situation happened, I am truly glad that my sister is the way she is. We were walking on our daily walking path in the late afternoon and my sister and I walked up the pathway and crossed the street to the other side where the path got slimmer and more creepy looking, with trees that creaked against each other. As we were walking down that path, my sister kept looking back behind us, and I was just starting to get annoyed cause she was starting to make us slow down. You see, My sister gets so scared of the smallest things ever, and it can get pretty annoying after a while. Like one time, we were walking along a busy street, and a car had been slowly driving a few feet behind us. I think, oh, it's just got a flat tire, and my sister automatically thinks that a person in this car is going to kidnap us. Turns out the car was looking for a street name, and had asked us for directions. Anyways, back to the story. After my sister was looking back at least a hundred times, I finally snapped and told her to quit freaking looking back every five seconds. My sister looked at me and told me that there was a man crouched down behind a tree and every time she would look back, he seemed to be getting closer. After she had told me this, I looked back too. For a second, I did not see anyone until I spotted a red figure 
literally crouched down behind a small tree. I was a little creeped out by this, but shook it off. I told her to just ignore it and just keep walking. Me and my sister were 18 at that time, but we were super small and looked more like we were 12. Also, my sister had short hair and was always mistaken as a boy a lot. Anyways, this just got my sister more freaked out and now she was looking behind her back literally every second and asking me, what if he's like a killer or something and what if he has a weapon? What happened next still scares me today. As we started to walk faster, my sister looked back and she took off so fast that I was shocked and startled to even see what was running behind me. I look behind and the man is running towards us and in his hands has a freaking knife. Well I ran up with my sister and we ran out past a dead end sign and out into a street and nearly got hit by a passing car. The car had stopped after seeing how scared we looked and the driver got out and asked us what was wrong. We told him what happened and he called the cops. After the cops came and searched the area, they came back with the man. Apparently, they had found him hiding behind another tree, closer to the end of the path holding the knife. He had been waiting for us to turn back around cause the path had a dead end. I was so freaked out about this and was glad that the man was caught. The police also told us that this man had been wanted for theft and burglary around the neighborhood. From this day on, I do not push my sister's paranoia away. Just the thought that if my sister had never been so paranoid and maybe more carefree, tells me that we may have not made it home that day. I work in security at Disney World, the happiest place on earth. Typically, I wouldn't say where I work, as obviously there are some pretty strict rules about things employees can put online, but I just don't think I can tell this properly without that context. And honestly, I think this may be it for me anyway with this job. I just can't see myself working here any longer now. I've been with the company for 23 years. The first 20 years I worked in the parks, nabbing shoplifters and rounding up people who were drinking too much for the heat. Occasionally there'd be a fight to break up, but people usually kept it pretty mild. The heat and walking was getting too much for me the last few years, so I asked to be transferred somewhere with air conditioning, and the company moved me to one of their resorts. While the working conditions were 110% better as far as climate and comfort go, the guest issues were trickier, mainly domestics. I guess the expensive and stress of vacation got to a lot of people, and I'd be called by neighbouring rooms because some mum and dad were yelling at each other. I'd try to suggest they take a nap or go do separate activities for a bit, and 
that would usually calm them down. But none of that is what I'm here for. I've got to get this out while I have time. Three days ago, I got a call from management. Apparently, a couple of days before that, housekeeping had went into a room that should have been turned over that day. Turned over is when one guest leaves by about 11am and the next guest checks in around 3pm. And all of the guest's items were still in the room. Housekeeping made a note of it and moved on. But during the next two days, when they entered the room, everything was still there and untouched. I went to check it out and sure enough, there was an empty room full of luggage. Clothes, snacks, some toys, everything a family would need for vacation. The manager had already looked up the previous reservation and it was for a family. Dad, mum, two little kids. I tried to call the phone numbers they had given but all I got was voicemail. We were a bit stumped, so I made the call that housekeeper could clean the room and take the family's personal items to be held, until we got in contact with someone. I went digging into the reservation more. The family had arrived five days before housekeeping discovered all their stuff. I found that the family had paid a parking fee and their vehicle description was listed. A quick walk of the parking lots and I had easily located their vehicle. So, that ruled out a car accident or them deciding to just leave all their stuff behind. Next, I saw that they had bought a dining plan. This is when a guest prepays for all their food. They're given a certain number of credits to use for meals. This family had only used three credits, and the last one was two days after they checked in. It appeared that the day they arrived, they got here late and probably just stayed on the resort. The next day, they used two credits at Epcot. The second park day, they used just one credit at Magic Kingdom. And it was at breakfast time. Now, at Disney, we have something called Magic Bands. Magic Bands are worn by the guests and act as a room key, park ticket, credit card, dining reservation payment, fast pass, a system used to bypass lines, and more. It took some work, but... I was finally able to look up the family's fast past history. The day they went to Magic Kingdom, they had breakfast at a restaurant in the park, rode a couple of rides, and then rode their last ride. It's a small world, around 11am. Then, nothing. Finally, it was time to bring in someone else on this. I called an old co-worker at Magic Kingdom and asked him to pull the security footage for It's a Small World at the time they rode it, and I made my way over there. When I got there, my friend was very confused, almost distraught looking. He showed me what he found. There's usually a camera in the direction of where rides load and unload. The footage showed them scanning their bands to use FastPass for the ride and boarding the ride. The footage from the exit of the ride just showed the other people in their car exiting. They weren't there. Of course, we thought the worst. Maybe one of the kids had fallen out and mum and dad and the other kid got off in the middle of the ride to help and they all got injured or killed or stuck in machinery somewhere. So, we shut down the ride. Middle of the damn day. Turned off that earworm music and turned up the lights. Me and my buddy walked that ride three times before we called in help. Eventually, 
there was close to 10 cast members searching, and we didn't find shit except for three cell phones and a hat. I was right stumped. I've kept digging the past couple of days, and I'm not sure who to tell what I found next to. I've called the police, and I suppose they're on their way, but the company has a way of covering up things like this, and I decided I can't live with myself if I don't put out some type of warning. I kept digging into their reservation over the last couple of days, and today, I noticed they had purchased Memory Maker. There are photographers all over the parks and cameras in a lot of rides, and with Memory Maker, the photos are all free. They automatically get added to a guest's Disney account when the system knows their picture has been taken, and the system always knows. Everyone's whereabouts are always known with the magic bands. Well, I opened up their Memory Maker photo album, and I swear there's 732 pictures. The first 30 or so are pretty normal, Epcot, a few rides in front of the castle, but the rest, the rest are all in It's a Small World. The rides only take one picture per go-round, so it appears as though this family has ridden this ride over 700 times. The first picture was pretty normal. Everyone looked happy. It was busy day and a full car of guests. The next one is rough to look at. The car is empty, except for this little family, and they look so darn confused. The next 10 to 15, I can see Dad getting angry, yelling. Mum is holding on to these two kids like her life depends on it, and you can see the kids getting increasingly upset, crying. And it goes on and on. After 50 or so, it looks like they're trying to get out. In one, the dad is missing. In another, they're all gone. Maybe like they bailed early in the ride and tried to walk out. But in the very next one, they're all rides back in that damn car. After about 450 or so, I only see the mum and kids. It's just when I look closely, I can see Dad. Maybe just his body now, slumped down in one of the other seats. Since about 675... There's just mum and one kid. Another body in another seat. The mum and kid aren't moving anymore. I think the two of them are still alive, just damn near catatonic. Looking straight ahead. Pale. And, yo, I swear on my fucking life, the dolls are moving or something. In some of these pictures, I can tell they aren't where they should be. I even saw one with a doll in the car with his family. I can't look anymore. I'm going to lose my lunch. I closed the album. Its file size has increased since I closed it. God, are there new pictures being added? I see on one security cameras that the local PD just arrived, so they'll take over soon. I wish I knew what the fuck is going on, but I also wish this damn thing had never landed in my lap. I don't think I'll be able to update this. After I talk to the police, I think I'm going to walk out of here and never come back. I just wanted to get this out there before Disney feeds the media some bullshit cover-up story as to why a whole family vanished. They didn't vanish. I know where they are.
Hello? Is this Mr. Henderson? There was no real reason for me to pick up the phone. The spam app on my cell phone called out the mystery number right away. But hell, I thought, fuck it. There was no one else left in life for me to talk to. Even a debt collector sounded good at the moment. Now, before I start the story, I want to tell you guys. My wife was murdered in 2015. There really isn't an easy way to say that, other than getting it out the way early. It was a random robbery gone wrong. One rainy night, some sick tweaking fuck snuck into our house and shot her. The suspect was caught two days later and sentenced to life in prison. I have worked in web development ever since. The job is remote and the field caters to my hermit-like behavior out here in the woods of northern New Jersey. The lack of drug testing is really just an added benefit. I was perfectly free to fuck up the remainder of my own life. I don't have any friends anymore. Not really. Sometimes, I, I guess, it is easy to look for companionship in all the wrong places. Senior or junior? <sighs> I replied to the lady with a sigh before settling into the armchair in my office with a bottle of wine. It was raining that night. The wind with the old pine tree in our backyard so hard I thought it might topple. Uh, senior, said the pretty calm voice on the other line. She sounded familiar, but I blamed that notion on the half-empty bottle of wine. Apologies, ma'am, but senior died six years ago, I said, a little annoyed at the lack of record-keeping at this place. She paused. Oh, gosh, gosh, that is not what we have here. I'm so sorry, sir. We were not aware. Please forgive the intrusion and assumption. Would you mind pausing while I check my records? A filing cabinet clicked steadily in the background as static crinkled. My guess was that the woman held the receiver to her shoulder. I chuckled a bit at the lack of audio quality. No, 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 that's okay. No problem at all. No worries. Why don't you start by telling me your name? I asked, cursing myself for the hint of shameless flirting at the end. She giggled. Something about that laugh was very familiar. My name is Emily, and I work with his credit card company, she said in a rehearsed tone. Unfortunately, we cannot divulge which firm over the phone if you are not on the account, which, uh, you just admit it yourself, of course. Okay. I am guessing that you are Mr. Henderson's son? She mumbled, while audibly thumbing through papers. Yes, ma'am, that's right, but it's been years. I could not possibly be stuck with the old man's debt, right? I asked, hopefully. Well, let's check, shall we? There was a panicked shuffling and opening of books in the background. I am so sorry, sir, she replied with a regretful tone. The rolls are in one of those three-ring binders, and they are very difficult to find. 
please hold for a moment? That's okay. Do I get an email confirmation of this charge as well? I asked. Excuse me? Email like electronic mail. A confirmation of the charge? I asked again, allowing my confusion to turn to frustration. What was this lady's problem? We don't do that here. Still a few years away from all those fancy features, she continued. But as you know, late payments are a pretty serious issue. They can even affect the credit score of an individual when a large amount has not been paid. Okay, okay, of course, I said, genuinely starting to grow worried and a bit flustered. What can I do? Is there a Mrs. Henderson in the household? She asked quietly. Mrs. Henderson died in 06. What year did you say? Oh my gosh, that is so horrible. I really am batting 1,000 today. I gasped. That was it. That phrase. I don't know if it was the way she said it, or the fact that simply not that many people use that exact language. But as soon as she did, something clicked in my memory. My wife worked for a credit card company before we met. Her name was also Emily. The voice sounded like hers, but it was younger. More hopeful than I remembered. What is your last name? I asked. The line was silent. Look, look, I know that's a weird question, but please, I think we know each other. I can't give that information out, she started. Okay, did you go to Jefferson Memorial High School? Yes. She said, astonished. How did you know that? It was impossible. Emily was dead. The voice on the phone barely even sounded like her. It was younger, happier, more optimistic. This type of dream was actually the type of thing that had kept me up a million sleepless nights in the past. And yet, I was awake. Could it be a coincidence? Is your mother's name Eva? There was silence on the other end of the line. Then her mouse-like reply confirmed my suspicions. Who is this? I took a deep breath. Either I understood what was happening, or I lost my mind. Might as well enjoy the ride. This next question is going to sound strange. What is today's date? I am sorry, sir. What? One moment. She paused and shuffled around some more papers. Today's date is July 9th, 1999. It was impossible. Could it be the storm? The anniversary of her death? Emily, listen to me. Okay, sir. This conversation is getting a little strange. Let's keep it to the payment plan. Listen to me carefully. One day, one day you're going to meet a man. You're going to love him, Emily, and he will love you more than you ever know. I had to give her something to remember, 
On your first holiday together, he will buy you one gift for all 12 days of Christmas. Sounds dreamy, <laughs> she replied with a laugh and a sigh. Are you one of those psychics? I am serious. You will marry this man, Emily. He will buy you the ring you always wanted. The ceremony will be in a beautiful one in your hometown. Your entire family will be there, including Aunt Zelda and your grandma from Tennessee. I like this fortune cookie, she said with dripping sarcasm. But two years later, on July 9th, 2015, you will be murdered in the home you share together. She shifted the phone nervously. So what do I do? First, I tried to tell her to avoid the house that day, to never date me, to stay away forever and find a better life somewhere else. But somewhere in the middle of my rant, the line disconnected to the tune of a blood-curdling scream. I called back to find a non-working number. She never answered again. I fell asleep listening to the thunder rolling through the sky. The scream from that night repeated from time to time while flashes of her body on the floor occasionally invaded my mind. I never questioned the call. I never asked why. Maybe it was God. Maybe it was just time. But yesterday morning, when I woke up, Emily was by my side.